Welcome to the Bread of Life, a listener-supported program of Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about CPE, go to breadoflifeboise.org. It is another good day to go to the Word of God and there look to Jesus Christ as our only Savior and our complete sufficiency in all things. Now here's our teacher, Joel Van Hoogen. Personality tests abound. They're given often at the workplace, and all too often they're given as the starting point for personal discipleship. Listen in today, and let me share with you the good news about the value of personality tests. I'll let you in on it right now. They are not essential to living an effective and holy life for Jesus. You'd be surprised at how ignorant you can be of your unique temperament type, and yet how holy Christ can make you still. In this case, ignorance really is bliss. Christian holiness Personal holiness is a life enjoying and reflecting the moral majesty of God. It's a life lived in the flame of God's pure, holy being, and by that flame expressing God's moral majesty and greatness to all that are around you. We said holiness is living in agreement with God. It's loving what God loves. It's hating what God hates. Last week, what we said is that personal holiness is important because of a number of things. That was our focus. Personal holiness is important because God commands it. God says, be holy as I am holy. Personal holiness is important because God purposes it for those he's saved. Once he saves you, God has a declaration over you. He calls you a holy one. The Bible said, called us with a holy calling. And the reason it's a holy calling is God has purposed in calling us to himself in salvation that we would be holy like himself. He said, the life of holiness is important because it's the only way that we can prove our love for the Lord Jesus. We'll refer to that again in just a moment. We said it's important because it's the one sure evidence that you're a born-again child of God. When you're born again, when you become a believer, the theory is, and it's true, if you experience it. The idea is that God, the Holy Spirit, comes and dwells within us and he gives us a new nature. The old nature they had, the old spirit that ruled and governed over this sinful body is removed and put to death and God puts in us a new man, a new spirit. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away and everything has become new. This new man and this new creature has been crafted and molded and brought to us in the image of Jesus Christ himself. It's God putting his own life, his own DNA within us. And you know, our children take on our traits and God's children take on his traits. The primary trait that God gives us is the trait of holiness. So if you claim to be a Christian and yet there is not being expressed from your life a life of holiness, well, you've, you've got to answer to that. You've got to explain the phenomenon or the lack of the phenomenon of holiness in your life if you claim to know God and believe in him and trust in him savingly it's the one sure evidence that you've been born again a born again child of God it's also important because holiness is the one good thing that you have to offer to the world the world believe it or not doesn't need you but it does need the Lord Jesus that you bring to the world once you've received him and know him It needs his holy life and his influence poured out from your life, poured out upon all the things that you do, not to exalt in your own goodness, not to say, 
There, I slowed down to let that guy cut in in traffic, and I'm a good person. No. It needs you to be good, and it needs you to be righteous, and it needs you to be just and true and honest in order that you might glorify God, in order that you might let your life become a pathway through which the goodness of Jesus might come upon the world in which you live. And when you live in that way, you become light in a dark place. When you live in that way, you become a preserving salt in a putrefying place that needs that preserving influence. The world needs the Lord Jesus and His holy life to express through you. And when you live a holy life, you give the world the one good thing that you can potentially give the world. We also said it's important because if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've trusted in Him, it's the one way through which you experience peace and joy in your life. Your own personal peace and joy as a believer depends upon you living a holy life. The world says, don't worry, be happy. What we said is no, but God says, don't worry, be holy. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot live a sustained, joyful, happy life and not be holy. If you can find happiness without holiness, you've got a problem. For the believer, happiness comes from being conformed to and be expressive of the very thing God has purposed for your life, which is to be holy like your Savior. It's to be like Him. Those are the things that we spoke about last week. The week prior to that, we spoke about the pathway from which... God brings His holiness to us and pours His holiness into us and brings His holiness out from us. And we said that the pathway that God moves to us in is the pathway of our own faithful, active obedience to Him. It's our practice of believingly submitting to God's will. And as we obey, not because we're trying to prove ourselves, not because we're trying to be righteous, not because we're trying to be better than others, not so that we can do some good thing and say, there, I'm holy. But if we obey God and His will, the very act of obedience is opening ourselves up to the holy life that God wants to express through us. And so in our obedience, if our purpose is, I'm reaching out to God and I... I want to realize Him and I want to know Him and I want His life to be expressed in my life. That's the pathway through which holiness comes. God cannot express His holy nature and His holy life through an individual who is disobeying Him and resisting Him and refusing Him. Well, actually He can, but it's not a pleasant experience. It's a much more pleasant experience if He can express His holy nature upon that child who's coming and submissing to him in an active, aggressive, assertive obedience to his will. So it calls a mustering up of your will and your decision, your action, your determination. And as you bring that before God in faith, God responds by placing his holiness upon you. And I want to go back to that idea now for a moment because I think there's something here that's quite important in what I've just said. This idea that holiness comes to me by way of act of obedience. And it means that the holiness of God works through us as we faithfully yield to Him and not instead as we reactively turn to our own feelings and our temperaments. Basically what it means is this, that holiness is not dependent upon my temperament. That's good news. That the life of holiness is not dependent upon my moods. By the way, it also means that I can't excuse my lack of holiness for my temperament or my mood either. Oh, if I just wasn't, if I just didn't have so much Italian blood in me, right? 
life. I just wasn't such a miser. You know, I'm Dutch, and those Dutch people were just misers, and then I could really, really be holy. And You go through your life. You know there are things about yourself that you like. You love yourself, but you don't like yourself in every way, right? There are things about yourself you don't like. I'm just talking about your personality, your moods. You can't even figure them out. You know, you go to bed feeling quite good about yourself and you wake up feeling quite lousy and you don't even know what happened. What happened in the middle of the night that I woke up in such a foul mood the next day? You can't. You're fickle. You're inconsistent. And listen, if that's what's required for you to live a holy life, we got trouble. When I first began in the ministry, I began to understand that this actually became the point and the focus point at which the church had decided was the basis of the growth point for our discipleship and our growth as Christians. There was a strong emphasis on a person's temperament and finding out what their temperament is and finding out somehow to regulate that and negotiate through their temperament in order for them to grow as a Christian. It was a mistake, but it was the popular theme coming out of the 70s into the 80s. And so what the first thing they would do before they disciple an individual is they would give them a personality test a temperamental test. You might have taken one, the, the Four Corners, you know. It was popularized by a fellow by the name of Tim LaHaye, I think it was. But he actually drew upon it. This was something that, that was being taught by the Greeks way back in the classical era. But you were either a person who was a sanguine individual. That was a social extroverted person. Or you were a choleric. That was a person who was a driven extrovert. Or you were a, a melancholic. That was a feeler, deep-thinking introvert. Or you were, this is what we all wanted to be, phlegmatic. That was a person who was introverted but really easygoing, right? And maybe you were one of those or some crossover of those individuals. And I confused people who gave me that test because I scored equally in all four. It was like, which meant I was a schizophrenic is what it was. They couldn't figure out what I was. That model was actually kind of losing currency. And so when I first went into pastorate, I was encouraged to begin my pastoral work and my counseling work with individuals and understand how to disciple people and lead them into the Christian walk. The first thing I needed to do was know how to administer what was called the Taylor-Johnson Temperamental Analysis Test. I remember my wife and I, it was our very first church, and they required that she and I take it together in order that we would lay the basis of being able to disciple the individuals in our church. This test basically has nine contrasting tempers that it tries to find and where you lay on the continuum between these nine contrasting things. So you were either nervous or you were composed. You were depressive or you were lighthearted. You were social or you were quiet. You were responsive or you were inhibited. You were sympathetic or indifferent, subjective or objective, dominant or submissive, hostile or tolerant, self-disciplined or impulsive, and you took the test, about 180 questions to find out where you fit on this thing, and, and then you gave to other individuals when they came to you to grow, but you didn't start with God's word, you didn't start with what God commanded and what God desired and what God called from them, you started with their temperaments, and then you tried to figure out how to negotiate through those temperaments to get them to somehow ease their way into a certain kind of lifestyle and know what their limitations might be. It's just what you were. You were somewhere between all those things. And I have some advice for you, by the way. If you ever do take the Taylor Johnson temperamental analysis test, don't take the test when you're not in a good mood. 
Take the test when you're in a really good mood. Take the test when the circumstances of your life are positive and looking good because you'll come out as a composed, lighthearted, social, responsive, sympathetic, objective, tolerant, self-disciplined person. <laughs> Don't take the test after having an argument with your newlywed spouse. <laughs> Don't do that. You'll come out scoring in all the negatives. You'll be nervous, depressive, quiet, inhibited, indifferent, dominant, hostile, impulsive. I think that's how I scored. <laughs> so, you know, that was the idea. It, it actually didn't work. It, it didn't produce people who were better disciples. It produced a level of introspection where we thought that the way to lead people into discipleship was to help them to discover themselves. Discipleship comes when you discover God. And you discover His goodness and His holiness and His life. And it's not dependent upon your temperament or your mood. How glad I am that the secret of the Christian life is not in me, but in Christ in me. Hey, thank you for listening today to The Bread of Life. We are an outreach of the International Mission Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. CPE's mission is to equip and engage Christians around the world in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. We've been at it for over 30 years, working in over 90 different countries with multiple denominations and missions organizations. And we rely upon your gifts to continue this work. To learn more about our ministry and how you can give to support it, go to breadoflifeboise.org. There also you can learn about the Mission Fellowship Bread of Life Church here in Boise. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.